welcome everybody to the Coltech Technology Leaders podcast. Uh, I am your host as always, Patrick Waits. Uh, today, I've got the great pleasure of having Brian Mishkin uh, here alongside me to have a conversation. Um, Brian is a CTO of extensive experience growing companies, scaling organizations. Uh, in his own words, he's not afraid to look for creative solutions to challenging problems. Um, someone that's uh, huge on the, uh, you know, has a big presence within the technology uh, scene uh, and someone I'm really, really, really excited to, to, to have a conversation with today. Currently the Director of Technology and Development at New Point Media Group um, and, you know, has had a, a really great career to date and um, something we're really looking forward to unpacking. So um, I always do a bit of an introduction, Brian, but um, there's no better person than than yourself to uh, to give us a bit more of information. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll pass over to you. Sure, I'm, I'm Brian Mishkin. It's uh, it's great to be here. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak with with Patrick here and and provide some of my knowledge and experience to others. Uh, I have worked in the technology space my entire career. I started off as a programmer and worked my way up into the C CTO chair. I've been there for you know, six or seven years now leading technology teams, scaling organizations and helping uh, companies achieve their aspirations uh, with their technology groups. Uh, so great to be here and look forward to a great conversation, Patrick. Excellent. Thanks very much for that, um, for that, Brian. So, look, so without further ado, best to just get straight into it. Uh, one thing I always like to ask, and you've mentioned, obviously, just now you've been in technology uh, your whole career scaled some really um worked at some really great businesses babylon being one of those and um you know where you are now um how in your opinion or your you know your your experience what's the best way or how have you gone about scaling the modern tech team well that's a that's a good question it's a challenge everybody has especially as the job market here in the united states has has tightened up for for good talent I think one of the important things to scaling a modern technology team is to make sure you have a solid foundation with which to build upon. And so um, that means your people, process, and technology are all in a good place where it makes sense uh, to start scaling your team up. Understanding that if you start scaling your team up and you have issues, those issues are going to be amplified as you add more people in, and you'll be teaching more people potentially the wrong way to do things. So. The reason it's important to look at all three is because if you don't have the right process, for example, people will be learning the wrong process coming in and you know get frustrated that things aren't as efficient as they could be, uh, and that can lead to a lot of attrition or churn, right? Um, having the right people in place is really important as well because you want a team that's working well together uh, where they're all pointed in the same direction, where you've got the right resources that are all on board and bought into not only you as a leader, but what the company is doing and where the company is going. And then on the technology side, you know, you need to make sure that you have, you know, clear pathways on your technology in terms of where you're going, that you understand your, your technical debt, and that, you know, if you are going to pay it off, you're very clear with applicants about that. And if you don't have intent to pay it off, be transparent about kind of where those bodies are buried, as it were. But if those things are not fundamentally in place from the beginning, all that happens is you end up amplifying the, the, the problems within your team as you scale up. And then it gets to a point where, you know, people tend to say, well, why can't we scale any further? Well, because those problems become huge issues uh, at scale that, you know, aren't tenable. And so you're basically going back to the beginning, you know, and looking at your foundation 
Uh, and it's better to do that with fewer people as opposed to more people when it could be far more detrimental and, and far more intrusive to, to what's going on. Yeah, I, I hear that so many different. Uh, so a lot of the businesses that we work with are startups or scale ups. And <clears throat> like you mentioned, especially in, in, in the US at the moment, war for talents there. Um, so everyone, all the you know, skill sets are in demand. But businesses that we're seeing that are uh, thriving at this time are those that have those processes in place so that when people are onboarded or when you look for people they can come in and be successful and join a team that, that you know is, is moving in the right direction and, and and delivering what's expected um and knowing what's expected as I, I suppose is um is a really good point because there's no point in having the most talented group of uh, techies or the most uh, you know talented group of people in your in your business if um you can't set expectations or have the process in there for, for success. So I suppose that leads quite nicely on to a next point of when you're scaling a team, what for you are the main do's and don'ts for that to, to really get a successful uh, team in there? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And one of the things I deal with with clients more than anything um, is product development and requirements definition. And so um, I would definitely say one of the key do's when scaling a team is making sure that your requirements are concise and well-written, right? If, you're, if you don't have well-written requirements, you're going to spend a lot of time and cycles churning with developers on the same thing again and again, which leads to frustration, which leads to attrition. And so oftentimes I speak with clients and they say to me, Brian, we're having a problem with our technology team. Can you help us out? And I say, sure, I can help you out. And I come in and I do, you know, my first couple weeks of assessment. And oftentimes the, the problem is as much the things that are around the technology team uh, as the technology team itself. So uh, at Mono Machine Supply Chimp, when I came in there, they had a project that was, you know, two years in the making, hadn't been finished, and they had no line of sight to getting it done. And when I walked, and they were saying that the engineering team's not producing. Well, when I walked in, I started looking at this project, which was at the end of its end of its life cycle, should have been close to done, uh, and asked, "Where are your test scripts? What are you testing?" They they didn't have any processes around testing. They didn't have any processes around quality assurance. They didn't have any way to really gauge um, what the quality of the deliverable from the engineers was. So we instituted those processes and made sure that they were there instituted with the engineers what the expectation was and immediately things began moving the executives had visibility into what was going on the health of the project how many issues there were what the key things were that needed to be tackled and the project got done in just a couple months uh, after i came in that did have to do with the engineers but it also had to do with the fact that Quality assurance is an important part of the software development life cycle and yeah, didn't course. have any tender love and care, right? And engineers are, they're okay with testing, but I would not recommend having engineers test if you really want an independent perspective and viewpoint, right? So if you're yeah. going to have your teams test, you have to make sure that that those people are, you know, trained up on how to do it. But it's, it's really important when you scale, um, not to scale too fast until you have those fundamentals in place. Everybody wants to go and everybody wants to go as quickly as possible. But sometimes you got to take two steps back to take three steps forward, right? And in, in most cases, if you take those two steps back, make sure you've got the right fundamentals, make sure you've got the right software development life cycle and processes around it in place and that things are working well, you can scale really successfully. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's so, so important. And what a lot of, I mean, tech you know we're building a tech team but when building any business having the right foundations in place the right processes understanding of how you want to get to where you're going 
is vital because you can't just throw bodies at, at, at a situation. Uh, we've seen so many businesses try to do that and then foul. And you know, there's been lots of those uh, huge um, businesses that we've seen in the press recently having to having to let people go because potentially, you know, they've scaled far too quickly. And then the actual, you know, they've built a, a building on quicksand in, in some ways. So having that in place. You said one, one thing that sort of sprung to mind when you were just talking there about not having the test the testing in place and or the quality insure quality assurance. How did the how did that the business that you went into there, how did they let it get to that situation? Sure, because all the people that you're working with there, uh, and again, this isn't that particular business, but this would happen and be replicated so many, so many times. All the engineers that are working there must have known something was up because there's no testing in it. But do, do you know what I mean? Is it that you need a strong leader in place? Or is it that you need to be able to create an environment where people can speak up and maybe there wasn't either of those things? I think it's probably a little bit of both, but I think it's also that oftentimes when technical resources express themselves, they express themselves in technical terms, right? And so, <laughs> you know, when you go to a CEO and you talk about in technical terms why you need testing, you know, that may not resonate with that individual. When you go to a group of executives and you say, this is, this is why we need testing, that may not resonate with those individuals. But when you pull up a dashboard and a tool and say, okay, here's where I want us to get to, right? I want us to have these cases. I want us to have these runs. And I want us to have the ability to actually see the health of the project on a dashboard level view. That's something that makes it easier for them to understand. So I don't think the, that it was a strong leader necessarily, but I think it was somebody that had the respect the respect, the trust of the, of the leadership team. Oftentimes, when I'm brought into an organization that's intrinsic by, you know, a company kind of paying, you know, paying for services, but having the respect, having the trust of the leadership team, and then being able to articulate something in terms that they can understand, which generally is what's the business benefit, right? What's the benefit to their business of doing this? And so, you know, the benefit to testing is a higher quality deliverable, more line of sight into the project, and the ability to shot call on what's acceptable for going live and what's not in a methodical way. In addition, it also speeds up efficiencies in the way it would be explained is it speeds up efficiencies within the people testing because instead of it being a free-for-all, you hand them 10 cases, you say, go run these 10 cases, give me your feedback, and they can be done with that in just a few hours as opposed to kind of hunting and pecking, which is the old, you know kind of ad hoc testing that a lot of people do is hunting and pecking. And what happens when that, when that circumstance happens is things come into an, or, an engineering team and I was doing this and it's really hard to reproduce the steps, reproduce the issues. And so the engineering team ends up spending a lot of cycles wasting time trying to hunt something down that may or may not be an issue that they need to address, right? And so, again, when you put it into terms they can understand, it's very easy for them to understand that, crystallize it, and bring that forward. Uh, some of it could be strong leadership. A lot of it's going to depend on the organizational culture, right? I mean, at the end of the yep. day, I was brought into a project that was not in good shape. So that intrinsically gives me the ability to say, well, here's where your problems are. You need to try these things, right? And yeah. could equate that to strong leadership, but that's probably also the fact that they were paying me for advice, right? Uh, whereas in other organizations I've worked with, it's trust and and the relationships that you build with other people. So I've worked with you know, marketing directors that didn't understand how to, you know, how to deal with, you know, SEO in, 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 the, in the most optimal way and kind of coaching them on some suggestions of what might be a, an improvement. Um, it just depends on the organization, uh, their needs and, and what they want. But I find success a lot of times in taking a technical issue 
and bringing it forward in a way that business people can understand it. I use a, an analogy like building a house a lot because there's there's something everybody can understand. And in software, a lot of a lot of what I tell people is not only about testing but requirements and design, right? And so I use the with design, I use the uh, analogy of well, you wouldn't go build a house if you didn't have a blueprint. And if you did and you got something completely different from what you were envisioning, it's because you didn't have a blueprint, right? And you didn't look at that blueprint to see if that was what you want. But a lot of people don't spend any time on software design. So they try to they ask the engineers to just start writing code with no blueprint. And then when the when the outcome isn't what they expect, they look at the engineer and say, Why'd you build this this way? And the engineer's like, I, I didn't have a blueprint to go with. So I, I I built it based on your specifications and it's built to your specifications, right? And so so those those problems also often have to solve themselves, depending on the organization, depending on the individual. But I think it's a combination of both, right? You have to have a an organization that's willing to, you know, embrace you know, the the suggestions people provide. But the people providing those suggestions also need to be, be able to provide it in a way that everybody can understand. That's not just the technology or not just you know people that are immersed in software development lifecycle every day of their careers. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally hear that. And it's, um, <clears throat> as I say, it's just about being able to put things in the right perspective for the right people, so That's that right. they can understand. Because um, yeah, if you're talking in uh, one language, people aren't that, that you know. Certain, as you say, maybe the leadership team of the business are not going to understand why there's an issue, uh, and they'll be banging their, you know, banging their hands on the table, demanding an answer, but you can't give it to them because they don't understand. So putting it into those, uh, into those terms really does uh, bring bring things to like bring things through um for them and make it make it clear which is great and i suppose that with what we've touched on already is about having a good foundation good pro uh, processes in place uh, mm-hmm. the right uh, communication in a team so my next question which i always like to go on to is around investment it's a big topic that you're seeing you know every day there's uh, new rounds of investments for different startups and companies taking on and, you know, taking on investments, mergers, acquisitions, whatever it is. But when for a, a growing startup business, is there a right time or, you know, when would be the right time, do you think, to go and look for the for funding? If ever there is one. Well, that's 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 a fair question. I, I, I think it's different based on the, the organization, based on the startup and based on where they are in their life cycle. I think, you know, an early stage startup is probably going to go after their Series A when they, you know, have their business model kind of proven out. They feel like they've got a pretty good product market fit um, and they're ready to scale their technology, you know, further beyond like a prototype. Right. But I think that the trick with investment after that is, you know, identifying when you're at the right stage to bring that on, not only from the technology team, but also from the business side as well. Right. Everybody has to be ready to do those kinds of things. And so, you know, when you can produce a roadmap that you can reliably deliver on and you're basically sitting there saying, I I, I have these roadmaps, I don't have enough staff to be able to do uh, to deliver these products in this time, but you have the right processes, you have the right people in place right now, you have the right technology right in place for what you have now, then that's the time to go out and get that investment because you can move quickly, right? That's the key thing is you can maximize what those dollars go towards. You're not going to spend time spinning your spinning your wheels on different cycles. If you're going to go out to invest to investors, you're going to go out and, and get investment and you have issues with your processes or you have issues in your organization that you need to address, when you're going out and getting that investment is the perfect time to address those issues internally because they both have to they both take time to happen right but if you 
take those processes and now transfer them over to a new product, let's say, that you're putting out and you're going and getting investment for that new product, well, those problems in your process are just going to amplify themselves in that new product with that new team, right? And and in some respects, that's an opportunity to evolve what you've been doing to a better place. So if nothing else, you should look at where your processes are failing you and create a new, and when you create this new team, you know, re- refine and adapt your processes to, to be, uh, uh, to be, to be better at the end of the day. Um, even if you don't want to put it into the team that's already working well, because it's good enough and you don't want to disrupt them. It's a good opportunity to kind of improve things before you bring a bunch of people in, before you get a bunch of money and deploy it. At the end of the day, when you want to get that money is when you can be most efficient with it, right? Because at the end, you don't want to spend cycles on waste. And frankly, that's, that's a lot of where I see startups kind of struggle is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of waste. Uh, for the for the investment that they have, and then they don't achieve their objectives based on what they thought, right? And a lot of that again comes back to product development processes. How are you road mapping things? How are you measuring delivery of your engineers? And is that are all those things reliable and reproducible to where you can stand up a new product and deploy those funds, you know, a, as efficiently as possible? Yeah, it sounds so simple. yeah no it's true and this there is that it's not as as i said like sort of at the beginning of the question there's never obviously a a perfect time but having all these these things in place people process technology understanding where you need to get to having the roadmaps in place and then being able to use the funds that you receive to capitalize on that um with you know your data in mind and understanding exactly where the product's going to be going you know that's that's when you need to do it. I think one of the issues that you, you see as well, on top of that, with regards to investment, um, is sometimes people maybe take too much at the valuation, and then that gives them a, an issue about the the growth that they have to go through to get mm-hmm. to the next the next level. So it's about um, as well, in the, in my opinion, uh, understanding that you exactly what you need and not to take too much, because right. then a lot of the time the you, you've again with touching on it already you've seen businesses that have taken on a certain round of investment received a certain valuation and then that means now next time they've got a then the business got to continually go like this whereas it's not realistic that the growth the growth that you saw from here to here is always going to be the same from here to here and right. there's, there's going to be a, a plateau. So having uh, a leadership team that understands that or investors that understand that with you is probably a, a massive thing as well. Well, I, yeah, and that's absolutely true. I mean, I'll take that a step further and say there, there's there's definitely organizations over that, out there that over-index on how much they want to get out of a round because yeah. they know or they suspect that um, they're going to have issues with the technology delivery or rather than address their problems, they'll pad another 10 or 20% into the investment round and say, oh, well, we'll just redeploy that there. To me, uh, if I go out and get investment and then deliver on that investment with with my pro- with the promises that I made to the investors, um, and I go back to the well and say, okay, now it's time for the next round, it's going to be much easier to sell them than if I ask them for money, but I missed all my targets on the, on the first round of investment, right? And yeah. so- it's it just to me it's a lot easier to ask for what you need when you've got the processes in place to assure your delivery and assure that you you can get to where you want to be because once that happens then you know it becomes a lot easier for investors to go oh yeah i'm sure you can deliver on that because you did it for me there's historical context right past 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 deliverables can inform future future outcomes right and so 
if you deliver, you know, you're going to be raising confidence and going from yourself being maybe a bit of an unknown to much more of a known commodity and going, yeah, I trust you to get this done. You've, you've gotten everything we needed to get done the last time done. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It's important to make sure that you, I don't, well, no, our, my business is a startup, right? We've been running for three years. We haven't received, we haven't taken any investment, but at some stage you may. Um, but what we what we do always try to do is make sure that we set targets that we know, as you say, that we're going to be delivered on. There's no point in having a board meeting at the beginning of the year and saying, yeah, we're going to do X um, because it's a finger in the air number. And then all of a sudden everyone's disappointed, right? So you've got, as you say, use past uh, successes as a route to what you're going to deliver next time, but also don't try to, uh, you know, over egg it um, to just as because a, a lot of the numbers that people put up or these targets or growth patterns that people put up are sort of ego, ego numbers a little bit. And you've got to make sure that you, that, you know, that you, that you don't get caught up in that. And, and then with that, obviously, with the investment and looking to create a product that goes to market in, in some way, creating a like, you know, return on investment from your tech, using the tech strategy to create a, uh, return on investment is really, really important. Um, how, and I think I'm going to, uh, guess the answer. It's around processes and, and, and people, but I mean, like it, it, how, what's the, how do you go about that? Well, I think one of the things you can do with, with an ROI from, from your tech strategy is create, create the right technical architecture and make sure that, you know, you're anticipating uh, future potential needs without actually coding for them. So for example, if I'm in a startup, uh, I know at some point someone's going to come and want APIs for all the data, right? So I may architect a solution so that it can provide, you know, endpoints later on so that people can access them because one of the monetization strategies may be access to the data or exchange of information, right? Or sharing that information with other people. So a lot of it is is really, you know, in terms of creating that ROI is building solid architectures that don't need to be completely ripped up to scale. Right. At the end of the day, that's the biggest return on investment that technology can provide is that. And again, if you go fast, you cut corners, you it, it's hard to achieve this. You know, I, I like to use the term pre-wiring where you basically you create an architecture that's pre-wired uh, for other things. Uh, Ten years ago, I was telling people that if you don't have a distributed architecture and you're not serving all your all your data up through web services, you're going to be 10, 15 years ago. You're going to be in big trouble. And today, nobody serves anything other than. Uh, web services because a monolithic application doesn't work, right? And so you need to build an architecture uh, generally rooted in microservices and a lot of the technology design patterns that we see out there that will scale into the future. Now, if someone comes and completely pivots the business, there's there's only so much you can do. But I'm talking about incremental sc- incrementally scaling and making good choices. And sometimes, you know, taking a couple more days with a technology design or to implement a table structure in a certain way um, will not seem on the surface to make sense uh, when you're when you're hard charging and trying to get something done. But a year from now, when you're looking to do something and your da- your table structure doesn't scale and you're ripping up the whole application, you would sure wish that you spent that week putting the more scalable infrastructure in place, right? And so the biggest tech, the biggest ROI from from tech strategies is creating scalable architecture from the beginning. And if you can do that, it's not requirements here. How about that? But (laughs) if you can do that just in the technology arena, if you can create a scalable architecture that's well-designed, sky's the limit for any startup, right? And this is a common problem I see with a lot of startups is that, you know, architectures aren't built to scale, right? They run into issues with performance, issues with different things that they utilize. And some of that is architectural design choices. Some of it's not, but 
oftentimes, you know, companies will just choose the most convenient tool as opposed to the most scalable tool, right? And so that's okay in the beginning, but eventually you reach a point where you really need to, you know, create scalable architecture so that you're evolving and not revolutionizing your technology every time, you know, yeah. more funding comes in or you're building, well, we got all this tech debt now, so I'm going to go ask for a million dollars and 250,000 of it's going into tech debt pay down, right? Um, those are the kinds of things you want to try to avoid if possible and make sure that your architecture can be built to, 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 to scale with you. Yeah, I think that's such such good advice. Um, and as you say, from there, you know, the sky's the limit. Once you've got a technology or a te- an architecture that can evolve with the business, rather than, as you say, you have to keep recreating it every, you know, six to six to 12 months or, or whatever the time period is, um, it gives yourself such a leg up, gives the business leg up. Because then you can go over the direction, like you say, if you need to pivot, uh, for whatever reason, into a different way of working because of, I don't know, a pandemic um, that comes up or whatever it may be, um, it gives you that option. Um, I suppose that to wrap it up, uh, and, you know, it's been, it's been fantastic, but to, the, the, for me, I always like to find out uh, the best piece of advice and the worst piece of advice that you've ever received. Oof. You're asking the hard questions. Um, <laughs> I, I think... Um, the best piece of advice that I ever received was from an old boss who who told me to just focus on, you know, leading people um, and being a people person, getting more involved with people and understanding kind of the, the importance of relationships in everything that gets done there. I, I really think that, you know, relationships is all there is, is an important expression that I carry with me because it is important to cultivate relationships, not only with the staff that I work with in terms of technology professionals, but also business people. Um, and if you look at you know, my LinkedIn or some of the other recommendations that I have, you'll see that most of the people saying nice things about me aren't just developers, but it's business people talking about how I have the patience and the willingness to explain to them what's going on so that they can make the best decision possible for themselves. I think the worst advice I ever received is, you know, an old boss telling me that technology rules the roost here. And so we get to do whatever we want, Um, you know, conversely. Right. So that's kind of the antithesis of what I just described. But this was, you know, a gentleman that I didn't work for very long. And, you know, he was really trying to trying to suggest that, you know, in a technology company, technology can do whatever it wants. And why all that is probably true, um, it's not a very functional way to handle a business that's based in technology. Business people get hired and brought in because they have expertise in certain areas in certain ways that they can provide to, be, to, to, to us as technologists that we need to listen to and we need to work with them and understand those relationships and grow those relationships with those business people as, long as, the, as well as the, the technical staff. And I think those two things combined are really critically important to success. Uh, oftentimes that's where I have the most success is building strong relationships with the folks that uh, not only the presidents and CEOs that I work with, but also the executive teams, the managers, even the customer service reps that I work with, um, so that they feel like they can approach me with a problem, we can discuss it, have an open dialogue about it, and come to the right solution for them. And I can't tell you how many times in my career I've had somebody that's talking to customers, a customer service rep or a technical support rep, approach me with a problem that they wouldn't approach anybody else with because they just felt comfortable enough to approach me with it. I'm like, man, that's a really great idea. Let's make sure we get that taken care of and fixed so that you can be more efficient in your job. So yeah, yeah. I think it's really, relationships are really important. And I think in tech especially, um, they are really, really important to grow and form those relationships with folks and, and earn and build the trust 
that's needed, but also provide transparency into the business people so that they don't feel like IT is a black hole or, or development is a black hole. I think, I think that's so important. It's so important. Um, I think, yeah, both both of those points really, really important. So, uh, and it's not just so, so that to go to, on the worst advice, technology rules the roost here, sort of there. Having that type of force uh, or that way of thinking within any business, whether and, and with any department within any business, so it's not just in, in, in tech, it's sales is the most important part or marketing, you know, you know, having that um, it breeds contempt across other areas of the business. So it's not going to be something that's going to, uh, you know, be uh, contributive to um, a successful, uh, a successful company if you've got areas that think that, you know, that they're, they're they're, what they what they do is more important. Obviously, in a tech company, maybe it is, but you know you have to have the you know uh, the you know similar thought with you know, everyone working together. So obviously that moves on to having the the best piece of advice is the relationship building, creating bridges, but building bridges between people, having the you know being able to run a culture from you know from the top down, from as you say from the leaders, to customer services um, reps to the tech team, and everyone being on the same page, and uh, most importantly being transparent. The amount of companies or people that I speak with that are looking to leave a business because they was promised one thing or told one thing and then there's something else happened, or we was we was told that the target was this, uh, but really it was once we once we got there or we you know the deliverables were X Y and Z and once we delivered them the the, the leadership team decided to move the goalposts. So transparency in business relationships and everything is you know for me as well to be on end all. So I, I really I really. Uh, some brilliant advice so thank you very much for sharing that um but brian it's been a, a fantastic conversation i really really appreciate your time uh thank you for taking the, yeah taking the time out of your really busy schedule to have this conversation with us um the community is going to absolutely love it so thank you very much uh and um yeah i, I wish you all the best uh, is there any um way if people you know f have questions what's the best way for them to get in contact with you uh, probably send me a, a message via LinkedIn. Um, you can find me. There's only two Brian Michigans on LinkedIn. I am not the one that works for Square. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> nice and easy. Oh, there's a lot of people <laughs> that want to hire him, but it's yeah. not me. Yeah, it's, okay. it's very interesting. But yeah, my my LinkedIn is probably the best place uh, to 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 get in touch with me. Uh, I can also be emailed at my personal email, which is Brian B R Y A N dot T dot michigan m-i-s-h-k-i-n at gmail.com i'll put that up on the uh, on the post for everyone as well um okay. as i say brian thanks so much for your time today it's been a, a fantastic conversation really insightful and yeah i can't thank you enough same here thanks for the time Cheers. no worries thank you bye-bye